0: of Inside the Recording Studio. My name is Jody Whitesides and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris?
1: Hello, Jody. I am doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm kind of having a somewhat lazy week. I'm taking a little bit of time off and I'm kind of... Well, you're not taking too much time off. You're here. Well, there's only so much you can slack off, right? (laughs) I have you counting on me for this and All our lovely listeners to a much lesser degree, I'm sure, but no. No, they uh, are much more important than I am, so hmm. True. I think you just took yourself out of this equation here. (laughs) I did. They (laughs) don't listen for me. They listen for you. You're the voice of reason to my insanity. I don't think so. Is that the way it goes? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Anyway, what are we
1: talking about today, sir? Well, we have a listener request today. Yes, we do. Our loyal listener, David Rinaldi. And he requested that we talk about monitor headphone mixing solutions. Yes. So we're going to tackle that subject today. How do we get started with monitor solutions for headphones? What's the best way to get started? Well, I think we are going to take this in sort of three tiers, Three if tiers. you will. Mm-hmm. First of when you have just limited ins and outputs. So we're mm-hmm. going to discuss that first. Then we're going to talk about how you have a little bit of a larger system, more inputs, outputs, that kind of thing to your disposal. And then finally, a full-blown sort of like more or less top of the line type of system when you're working with in the larger space and more inputs and outputs, more people at the same time, that type of thing. So sure. the first step there would be we have an interface that just is like two in and four out. Yes, the very bare bones of the front end world to a DAW. And sometimes that is, of course, that, that's all we need. If we are not tracking multiple people at the same time, monitoring or headphone mixing is less of an issue for us generally. Because we, we tend to have that already taken care of with the gear that we have. Mm-hmm. Would you agree to that? Yes, I would. All right. I have nothing to add to that. Okay. Well, that's good. But when we have that, the the primary issue that we can come up against is, let's say you have a two-in, two-out, or four-out, ideally, and you're tracking a, a singer or anything that is getting mic'd up at your space. Mm-hmm. We... Got to be aware of our speakers. You know, obviously, we want to avoid any kind of leakage, so we can't have that, right? So, when we're using headphone mixing, we need to have a separate out so that we can kind of kill our monitoring system. The simplest thing to do, and many interfaces have this, where you can route the headphone out to a separate output. That would be generally like three and four. If that's and you're comfortable listening to the same mix as you have there tracking, then it's not really a problem. Right. Now, the issue would be if, let's say, you just have a working mix going there. There's not a whole lot of things going on and you're tracking a singer perhaps and it's not unheard of that singers want perhaps a little bit of reverb, a little bit of sweetener on their vocal when they're tracking so that they get it to the right headspace and it sounds good. Yeah, I don't do that. No, I know you don't do that. You like to hear it dry. <laughs> oh, no, right?
0: I, I, mean, I don't let singers do that either. I'm just kidding. Is that right? No, I'm just kidding. I give them whatever <laughs> they really desire so that they feel very nice and, and comfortable and cared for in the recording situation. For me personally, as you just mentioned, yes, I am a bone dry motherfucker. That's it. I like to hear everything that's
1: happening without adulteration, but that's just me. I think that's an important point though because in my opinion there are two ways that you can go about that. Well obviously there's two ways you can give them any kind of reverb or anything or not, right? But there two schools of thought if you will when you're when you're tracking there is something to be said for really being able to pay attention to what it is that you're recording whether that's a voice whether that's a bass, a guitar, whatever it is, and you hear it right in context. Now, the other way would be if you are playing a part or performing a part that is meant to evoke a certain feeling where a sense of space is part of that. Let's say that you are singing a vocal line that has a certain echo to it. Long long time with the music. It has a certain space. It might be a, a guitar part that you're tracking and the way that your playing interacts with the effects that you have is sort of integral for the emotional part of the piece. Mm-hmm. Then you definitely want to have that present. We've talked about this before. You're not tracking that at that point, but you're giving that to the person right. so that they can get in the right headspace. When it gets to those Situations, one thing I would do is I would set up a separate output and using the sends in your DAW to go to that output so that you can send anything that you want there. And then you actually have a control room mix as well as a headphone mix that you're controlling for the performer using just the sends in your DAW. Yes. That is one way of going around that we can – so we can still do some not necessarily, you know, intricate things, but we can give people what they want to hear, even if we have limited outputs of our, our system.
0: Well, you can get close enough anyway
1: for most things. You know, you got to work around your gear, right? So yes. the other thing would be obviously if you're tracking instruments where there's not a microphone. Included, You might be DI'ing guitars, or you might be, let's say that you have an electronic drum kit and you're triggering samples or something like that. Well, then monitoring becomes less of an issue. You can just kind of control that in the control room. Or would you still go through and create a monitor mix for the performer? How would you deal with that? I would ask the performer how they feel most comfortable
0: about it. That's the first question when setting something up. Generally, vocalists are always going to want some sort of headphone on their head, generally speaking. In terms of guitar players, drummers, bass players, keyboard players, symphonic players, actually symphonic players probably generally don't need headphones for their recording purposes. But for guitar players, I, for one, actually prefer to have headphones on because it can control the volume a little bit more. I can control the level in relation to the rest of the music a little bit more with the way my setup actually works. And I can also hear the click a little better with a lot less of a sync problem because distance from the monitors becomes a real issue, even though it seems negligible, and it technically is. It's a different value from a signal that's happening right in the headphones. That's right next to your ears. It's not traveling through sound space as far.
1: That's getting really, really anal, isn't it? Yes, uh, it okay. is.
0: I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with it. It is very anal. But I do notice that my timing as a performer, as a player, tends to be a little bit better with headphones on, with the
1: click going. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And and I wonder, not to knock your 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 workflow here, but I wonder how much of that is just simply psychological for you, but then again, oh, it's I all psychological. Kind of, I can play yeah. either way. It doesn't really matter, but I prefer to have, you're just saying that if, if you want it to be good, you need to have headphones. That's on. right. If I want to sound like a
0: freaking robot, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put headphones on. Fair enough. So that not everybody's going to do that. However, that being said, when you are miking things up and you're in the control room, you can't just mic it up and leave your speakers on. You have to have speakers off in that kind of situation. Thus, headphones right. become important, and of course, closed-back headphones become even more important to the microphone. Good point.
1: Because open-back headphones, you got problems with leakage going all over the place. And obviously, it's I'm sure that to anybody listening to this, they are aware of the situation that why we would want to use headphones is of course to not get bleed into the mic from the speakers and all this kind of stuff. So just like you mentioned there, when we have open back headphones, they can, especially with a singer, if they have a relatively hot mic, you can catch that up and that can be really, really annoying. Yes. That's obviously why we're doing that. (laughs) Now, what about the use of just a headphone amp? For tracking, do, do you find that in your experiences that the gain that you can get just out of your interface is adequate? Or is that something that you would advocate having a separate headphone amp to that as well, even if on the small, on the small uh, scale here? I advocate it. And the
0: reason why I say that is even when I had a much smaller setup in terms of the amount of cue outputs that I could do for different monitor mixes... I had, and actually I still own it, a Behringer headphone amp. Mm
1: -hmm. That
0: only allows for a single input, single stereo input, that can then be split off to four other headphone outputs. And each of those can be controlled individually in terms of volume level. They're all getting the same mix, but somebody might want their headphones turned up more than someone else. And without some sort of headphone amp, you're not going to be able to do that. Even when I had a two-in... Four out, I think it was. I still had a headphone monitor amp that yeah. I could use to control individual volumes to
1: up to four people with that. I think it's a very, you know, cost effective, obviously, tool, but it yes. can do so much because if you have, well, anytime you have more than two people, you're going to get disagreements on how loud something should be. Right? Yep. So for, Somebody, the the drummer, perhaps if you have a drummer, they're going to, they're banging on something that's really, really loud. They're going to want their headphones cranking generally. Yes. And whatever the case may be, you you have that. So that's a good, you know, tip for just regardless of your setup, really, to have. Yeah. For a most limited of things,
0: if you're not doing things for yourself and yourself only, I recommend a headphone amp that has multiple outputs. If you got it with multiple inputs as well, you know, fantastic. But generally speaking, at least the one I purchased is stereo in, four outputs of stereo outputs. And then you right. can individually control the volume level. But it's all the same mix
1: to the four different headphones. Last thing here to for our limited setup portion of this would be, obviously, when you're doing this and you're spending the time to do this, either turn off your control room speakers if the performer is in the same room or you've done all this for naught because you're still going to have that bleed. But there is another trick that you can do that, Jody, you're going to share with us here. Yes, I would call it
0: the hack setup. (laughs) It's the best way of kind of calling it. I had a vocalist come to me. He didn't like to wear headphones. And the vocal setup was in the same room as the control of the computer and the monitor speakers and everything. Because he didn't like headphones, he had a method that he shared with me that I thought was actually quite ingenious and it worked actually extremely well. And that method is is that you can take your studio speakers and you can reverse the wiring or the phase of one speaker. And in doing that, you sitting where you are will still hear the music as it's going. But if you triangulate the speakers so that the microphone is right at the triangle point, it will actually erase the sound of the music and the singer coming back out hmm. of the speakers from the microphone. It's I didn't believe it would work, but it's a little bit mathematical. So you really do have to be in that triangle tip and you have to measure it out. Once you do that, And you reverse the phase of one of the speakers, bingo, you have now erased the music from the microphone, singer can sing without headphones on, and you can monitor at the same time and get a good clean recording out of it. Now, it's not 100% perfect. I mean, you're still going to have a tiny bit of bleed, but it's not going to be extreme like it would be if they were wired in phase.
1: Yeah. Yeah it's pretty so just the fact it that he's behind the mic enough that it he can still hear it there yes. and it's just because of the that, that's interesting i had never heard of that before you told me that that that's pretty crazy
0: yeah and I, I was i was a little bit doubtful when he suggested it and we did it and it worked perfectly it pretty much re- it removed all the music from his vocal take. I mean, it was just a tiny bit of bleed there, but for the amount of volume that we were pumping and how he was singing, it was surprising how little bled through. So it yeah. does work. And that's a hack setup. T-
1: Very limited. Yeah, right. But I mean, anything we hear as well, as like we want to get ideally as clean of a recording as possible, but it's also helpful, I think, to remember that A little bit of bleed is generally not going to hurt your your session too much. And it can also be helpful to remember that in the infancy, shall we say, of recording, they played with that and that interaction was just like that. That was the sound of the recording, right? The purpose here of us trying to eliminate any kind of bleed is, of course, to just have maximum control over the signal when it comes to the mixing stage. Yes. without it being interfered with other instruments and everything. So, so, so the there's one a lot thing of stuff we should
0: actually add to that yeah. whole hack thing in that we had to get a tape measure out in yeah. order to make sure that we were at that triangle. Like, it has to be a perfect... I had to move my monitor speakers from their normal position, so I marked them out as to where they were so I could put them back when I needed to. And yeah. then... We measured out the distance, so we knew exactly the distance between the two speakers would also match the distance from the left and right to the,
1: the triangle tip where the mic was placed. It has to all be equal distance. Well, that, that, that's when a, a trip to the, your local craft store can come in handy, when you just get some string, right? And you tie <laughs> well, the string together? Well, yeah, you together. can do it with a single
0: string, too, yes.
1: Right. So, but you can do that, and you essentially just formulate that, that triangle between the speakers and then, you know, okay, well, here's the tip. This is what we'll place.
0: And yeah, yeah. And the reason why I mentioned that is because me as the control person couldn't have my speakers in my normal place because I'm supposed to be at the point of the triangle. Right. Right. But he had to stand further back. So we had to widen the distance between the two speakers and then make sure that they were faced to that triangle. So, yeah. And that is, that is highly important to get that bleed out of the microphone when you're doing it without headphones with inverted phases between your speakers. So one is in phase, the other one's out of phase. And when they meet at that microphone, boop. It's kind of like nulling out a mix on a DAW when you invert the phase and you play it against the actual mix, it should null out, so to speak.
1: Yeah, depending on the processing you're doing, but yes, yeah. yeah, right,
0: cool. Yeah, and with that, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors and we're back. We're going to be talking about our next level of setup now that we've gone through 1.5 levels, so
1: to speak, because the hack setup is kind of a 0.5. What do we got next? <laughs> I think this is a good opportunity for you to sort of describe what you have because you in your system you have a couple of different Apollos and it allows you to you to get more than one monitor mix. Yes, you're basically expanding on the the concept that we just talked about when we just have one extra output right. or, or one stereo extra output. So, so maybe you can discuss a little bit how you are actually routing yours, how many outs you have, and that, that kind of thing. Sure. The Apollo isn't the
0: only solution for this. Just to be upfront, this is, even though I'm going to describe the Apollo system from Universal Audio, it's not the only system that can allow for this kind of setup. But the Apollo, with its console software, depending on the number of interfaces you have, can give you from either one to four submixes, which they call Q outputs which is what we use for our monitoring headphone mixing solutions when you're trying to get mixes to the players, the performers. With a single Apollo Twin, you get the ability to do two cue outputs. And the reason why it can be done that way is that in the console software, it knows that the Twin has a line out, which is a 3-4, and it also has a headphone out, which gives you two separate outputs, so to speak, with the line out of the 3-4 being the left and right, and then the headphone out just being a stereo jack. When you go to your DAW setup, you can choose buses, and with whether it's Logic or Luna or whatever, I set up a bus structure that tells the DAW that when this bus is being used, its output is going to go to said output on the Apollo. That would be one or two
1: or three and four, just to kind of clarify. Uh
0: no, it would actually be either the line three four or the headphone one, two. And then the console software knows, based on how it's set up, that if it's Q Mix one, it goes to for me, the line three, four. And if it's Q Mix two, it goes to the headphone jack. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Okay. I think you just used a little bit of a different terminology for the same thing. If I'm I might be wrong here, but you're saying that the line is still just this sort of stereo out, right? It is a stereo. Well,
0: it is a left right out. It is not
1: necessarily stereo. It is left. No, no, right. Yeah, left, left and right, and then the dedicated headphone mix. Normal headphone mix would be three and four.
0: Well, actually, the headphone out on the Apollos is it is literally the headphone out. That's what it's called. Okay. So All right. they denote it in their software that it's a headphone jack, and then you have your line 3-4 as another source or a method of getting the audio out for a Q-Mix. Other softwares might do it slightly different, but it's the similar concept in that you have multiple outputs, and then you choose which Q-Mix goes to which output. So when you have more than one Apollo in the system can't have two twins, but you can have a twin and an X6 or a twin and an X8P or an X8 or what have you. Once you add an additional interface in there, they usually also have additional headphone outs. So I have the 8P and with that in conjunction with the twin gives me two additional headphone output jacks. So, I can now do four Q mixes, which is the max that the system can actually do. So, I can have four different mixes based on four Q outputs and the console software sets it up and the way mine is currently set up my headphone or my Qmix 1 goes out the line 3 4 of my twin the Qmix 2 goes out the headphone output of the twin my Qmix 3 goes out the headphone 1 of the 8p and then my Qmix 4 goes out the headphone 2 of the 8p so that's where I get four different sources there. The reason why this is kind of like a medium level setup is that I'm working on dedicated outputs that are designed for this particular purpose. Then in my DAW, I have four different buses structured in there, and they are marked Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And then they have specific outputs that the DAW then sends them out to. Once you wrap your head around it and you get it set up in your DAW, it becomes really easy to deal beyond that because now you don't have to think about it. It's like, Oh, well, I'm going to give the Q mix one to the guitar player. I'm going to give Q mix two to the vocalist. I'm going to give Q mix three to the bass player and Q mix four to the drummer. If I was working with a four piece band in that regard, you know, obviously if I have more players than that, some of them have to pal up on what they're going to get as a headphone mix and that's where right. a headphone amp comes in handy, because if I have multiple headphone amps in addition to the headphone outs or the QMix mix outs that I have in the system, then I can give individual guys that are grouped their chances of their own volume levels with the same mix that they're two getting. So like maybe the bass player and the drummer get the same mix, but they yeah. want different volume levels. So well, we can,
1: we can manage that. Yeah, so it's still, it, it's... Even though we're classifying this as a medium type of setup, it is still a very flexible system. Yes. Because not only can you have four different monitor mixes, you can then double up after that, right? Like you said, with with a headphone amp. So if you're tracking more people, then right. There's a lot of flexibility there. There is. The chances are – so it's not too much – Sort of compromise that would have to go on, I would think, with, with different people. Now, I think we can all agree that most people would like to hear themselves a little bit more in a mix, so that you know you can hear better what it is that how you're interacting with everybody else. Sure. I wanted to sidestep there then to to clarify something mm-hmm. or or see if we can clear that up a little bit more at least so I understand it. Then to these. Q mixes in your DAW. Yes. You're using sends on the individual tracks or, or do you tend to use it on groups of instruments to send to said Q mix, right? Let's say, for example, drums. Would you go as far as going, sending kick, snare, hi-hat, overhead track, or, or would you just generally do a, let's say, a drum bus? and sending the drum bus to, to the Q mix as an overall level. There's two different ways that I would do this, or at least two different ways that I actually do this.
0: Specifically, based on if I'm recording myself, I do individual tracks. Because sometimes I want to turn something on and off and it's much easier than trying to turn on and off an, an entire bus when I only need to remove a specific instrument. So I will do it individually. If somebody is really die hard wanting that individual clarity in their mix, I will do that for them. It's not super hard to do. And I usually, when in my tracking template, I have four sends immediately set up across all the tracks that I create anyway.
1: Right, so okay. I have, so a, that's they go in handy. succession.
0: I have Q1, Q2, Q3, and Q4 on my tracking setup. And that allows me to dial in every one of them individually to whoever wants what in their particular mix setup. Now, if it was going to go beyond and it needed to be per bus, then I would bus the drums to a bus and then I would just send the one, two, three, four cue outs out that bus setup. But maybe the drummer wants something a little more. So I turn his bus mix off and I give him the individual mix or something. It just it's just a different way. I have the flexibility in the DAW to choose either method of either doing now obviously going with every single channel makes it a little bit more complicated because you're now dealing with mixing a lot more things into that
1: all at once. Yeah. But logic has a I, I can't remember if it was if it came in 10.5, 10.5, or if it was already available in 10.4, I want to say it was in 10.5, where you can essentially set up the sends on faders. Yes. So they, it actually moves. So it's a relatively elegant solution for, for the ability to do that. And I'm sure other DAWs do very similar things. Yes. But since I'm a Logic user, that, that's what I'm most intimate with. So it, Well, and it's called sends on faders.
0: And what you do is when you flip that little switch that says the sends are on faders and you tell which send you're going to work with to the channel strip, and now you've got a golden fader for that. So you're not working with a tiny little like circular dial. You can work with an
1: actual fader if you wish to do that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think uh, that's a pretty elegant solution. But the something you touched on there, I think is um, also important to kind of just reiterate is that I asked you whether you did it on the buses and did it on an overall bus. Doing it that way is not necessarily less work. You know, so it, we're, no. we're still just dealing with the sense on each channel. So yes. if you just wanted to send the entire kit or if you have a whole keyboard packet, you could just select all the tracks and lower the send all in one go anyway. So yeah. keeping the individual control might be just simpler in the long run, just less thinking for you possibly.
0: Yeah, and it makes it look like I've got a giant mix already going, <laughs> even though I don't. <laughs> right. But the difference also too, that happens between having every channel as an individual send to whatever cue monitor mix, as opposed to having they all go to a bus and you're using the singular bus for the cue monitor outs, is that I can have a separate mix that goes to the stereo out for me and each yeah. player can have their own mix of what goes to them if every channel is used instead of just bussing and the benefit to that is is that maybe the bass player actually wants the kick cranked in his headphone along with his bass right i can't crank yeah. the kick in the mix send it out the bus and then everybody gets it that way and somebody else is like dude i don't want to hear the kick that loud so it really comes down to the nature of the group that you're working with or the people that you're working with and how flexible they are with what they're getting from a mix. Me personally, as the recording engineer, as I'm tracking it, I don't want to have the kick kicking me in the face either. But you know, if somebody yeah. wants it, I can give it to them on the individual
1: track, and it works out very right. elegantly that way for me. Yeah. I think the biggest difference here compared to to the next level that they were going to start talking about here mm-hmm. is that there is sort of like th- that intimate control over what a player can get, but the biggest difference is that they're not turning the dial. They'll have to ask you for it Yes, so that you can set it up.
0: That's you know? that's why I think this kind of sets in the medium setup in that yeah. you as the recording engineer are actually in charge of dialing in everybody's headphone monitor mixes You know, the other beauty of it too, though, is that you can send an additional send to another bus for like reverb for the vocalist, and then that bus can go to his cue output, and then you can dial in the amount of reverb that he hears. Or she hears yeah and that's beneficial as well if it goes around the fact that your vocalist wants to hear reverb and chorusing on their vocal or maybe the delay as well if they're going to play off whatever effects that are going on you can do the same thing if you're direct recording guitars generally speaking you're just grabbing the individual original sound that's coming from the guitar into the interface And then you're playing them the output that's coming from whatever amp emulations and effects that are on it. You can send all that to the guitar player as necessary. And actually you can send all that to whatever individual wants to hear the guitar in that manner. So that's another benefit to having this kind of setup and flexibility is you can send additional effects to outside buses, and then those buses can be set to the individual Q mixes and mixed in as well. But that all falls on the player telling the recording engineer and the recording engineer having the flexibility in their system to
1: be able to pull it off. And there is a little bit of a lesson in there. We, we go back to when we talked to Ray about the live monitoring and the ability to communicate yes. what it is that, that we want.
0: Yeah, it's a highly important thing to have... The performers be comfortable enough to tell you, hey, this is what I need in my mix. I can't begin to tell you how many musicians step into a recording studio and they don't know what they want to hear in a monitor mix. And maybe it's because some of the artists that I've worked with aren't used to that. Maybe they've come from their bedroom and they always just do it themselves or I don't know what. However... When you get guys that are like that, you can start offering suggestions to them. Yes, it will create more work for you. However, if it helps them to perform better, it's always
1: a good thing to add. Definitely. More comfortable they are, they're probably going to deliver better anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. If you're in that situation, don't be afraid to ask for stuff. It's like, oh, I've done tracking. Oh, it's really weird. I couldn't hear the bass. Well, why didn't you say something? Speak up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Right. All right, so should we move on to the giant pro setup here? Yes, why not? So now we get to the level where each performer, each person playing end up with their own ability to have, they have a little box in front of them, various manufacturers make this kind of thing, but they basically have ultimate control of what they want to hear in their headphones. Right. Besides just level.
0: This right? is what we would call the pro level setup. It's advanced. And yeah, we get things like the hearback system from Hear Technologies. Yeah. And what that is, is it allows you,
1: provided you have enough audio outputs. This is key because you're still, no matter if you're just, you know, the two and four out, or you going with a pro-level thing, you are always going to be beholden to the amount of outputs that you have. Yes. We're just dealing with a different controller. So sorry to interrupt you there.
0: No, that's vital information right there. So yes, with something like the HearBack Pro system from Hear Technologies, there are various levels of systems that they have. You need to have an audio interface setup that has a lot more outputs to be able to pull something like this off. They have several different levels of systems with the HearBack system from Hear Technologies. And uh, I know there's others, but that's the one that I'm most familiar with.
1: Yeah.
0: But they operate the same way. You route your audio outputs to the inputs of the HearBack technology, and it's hardwired. Now you have outputs that go to specific inputs on the Hear system. And they're just automatically wired to always take whatever it is that you're giving it. This is probably also a system where you're going to probably have more of a mix going on and you're getting it from sends of buses or what have you. Um, You can also do it on the individual tracks as well. But those outputs are like you have an output for a kick. You have an output for your snare or what have you. Or if you're doing just an output for drums, an output for keyboards, an output for vocals, an output for guitars, synthesizers, orchestra, whatever it is that you have, with the number of outputs that you have available to you.
1: Yeah, I think the low end of the hear system is 16. Right. To make full use of it, you, you need to have at least 16 outputs of, of your audio interface, or you're potentially having a bigger system than you actually can use.
0: Right. You have to have more than your stereo outs. More than your monitor outs, you have to have the individual outs for everything else you're going to send it. Once yeah. it's sent to the hear system, the hearback system then has Ethernet cable that runs to these little controllers. Yeah. And those controllers will sit next to wherever you have the people set up in the studio. So you could have right. one of the, if you have a vocal booth, you set up the vocalist's hearback controller in his thing with an ethernet cable that goes from the hearback system to the controller in the vocal booth. Same thing for the guitar player that's sitting in the studio. Same thing for the drummer, the bass player, etc. They all have a little control box that has multiple dials on it, depending on the level that you purchase for that. You can do anything from just individual, like, well, this is the mix that's going for the drums, and you can dial that much of the drums in. Or if you want to hear more of yourself as the guitar player, you dial the guitar knob higher, et cetera. And with a little bit more outputs, with the higher end systems that they have, the vocalist could even not only dial themselves in in comparison to the rest of the mix, you can have effects sends for the vocalist going to some of your inputs for the Hearback technology system. And dial those, and then the vocalists can dial in the their own amount of how much reverb do I want to hear when I'm singing, how much chorusing do I want, how much delay, whatever effects you're going to put on the vocal, they can dial it in in the booth for themselves. This kind of takes you out of the system as long as you put everything that everybody's in into the system and into the the wiring yeah, it's just available them. to it's them just,
1: on their it, their little box. They're like, yeah, so it, it's ridiculously flexible when you think of this, and you can have the way I understand it is that there are several sort of input points to this breakout box, which is the system that distributes the audio. That way, you can have thirty-two analog inputs into this thing that would then spit out. Right? You can. It even takes like Dante and, and new digital formats and things like that so i can only imagine what what the future will bring with this and how much you know signal that that you'd be able to route and the flexibility is just kind of mind boggling so yes this guy's the limit when it kind of comes to that kind of stuff
0: it's yeah. incredibly cool technology and i've actually been yeah. as a studio player in studios that have it and it makes it real easy because now the mix engineer or the recording engineer or the producer doesn't have to sit at the controls Right. All you have to do is sit there. Everybody's playing. You realize, oh, well, I need a little more of me, or oh, I need a little less of this, or a little more of that. You can sprinkle it and spice it up any way you please for yourself. It's pretty badass, but it comes yeah. with a pretty substantial price tag to go with it. It's not cheap.
1: Well, if it's going to taste good, it's going to cost, right? So, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's amazing technology, but you know, if if somebody has you know, a small room where they do their you know recordings. This is probably overshooting all of that. Yes. But if you find yourself that you often have bands come in that like to track at the same time, and you have these discussions where it's like, ah, oh, I always want the guitar player always want more guitar, which is always the case. <laughs> right? But usually, yeah. <laughs> but, but if you find yourself that you're doing this, this might be a really really good investment. Because you know, if you're at a studio or you're running a studio, I would hate for people to have to go, Yeah, it's a great setup and I can never hear myself well. Monitoring mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, you go into a place and like oh, it's fucking amazing. I can hear myself and I can control everything. Let's book that studio again, you know. Mm-hmm. So but but yeah, it does cost it's it's a hefty price tag. But I think <laughs> we're talking about, you know, what do we round the, the five thousand mark kind of thing for? Yeah, for the sixteen uh, channel, one,
0: I think it's about five grand. Yeah, right. Isn't that about right? Yeah, so, I think it's. About I right.
1: think it, it's something, right? and then of course you can scale it up or down as you want. But I think the basic, with I think the basic system is like four separate controls. Mm -hmm. But you can then expand that so you could potentially have like four players that have their mix, but then expansion. But then you're into that ecosystem, right? So if you have that and it works for you, then smaller investments can make that grow to just whatever you might need. Sure. So it doesn't mean, of course, that you need to have this system. Only you can decide if that's appropriate for you. Even if you have... Like you have, Jody. You're in the Apollo system and you got several outs with some ingenuity and if we you know know our routing software well enough we can probably get a lot in the ballpark of what we might need for when players come in.
0: Yeah. I, I would say right now for the setup that I have it's ideal for one to four players. And yeah. Beyond four players there's a little bit of flexibility loss. But It can be done in such a way that each of those four players can get their own headphone mix. It's just that I'm the one having to dial it in. Not a big deal. And I'd love to do it because, you know, when you got people that are hearing themselves the way they want to be heard in relation to everyone else that they're playing with, they're going to get a better feel for what they're doing and they will deliver a better performance. And that's the bottom line of why you need to use, you know, headphone mixes. When you're yeah monitoring you things.
1: want to make people happy so they can hear what they're doing and they're they're not having to second guess themselves. And like you said, that's the bottom line. It's the bottom line of what what you what you're doing this for. So yep, all right. Anything else that you would like to add to that, Jody?
0: No, I think we've kind of discussed quite a bit about it. We've thrown a whole lot of information in a short period of time.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's also the last thing I, I guess we we can mention here is that one thing to take into consideration as well is the physical size of the studio, right? If you're looking at this kind of thing where it might not be practical to to keep running around and try to adjust everything and going back to the control room and fixing, oh, did that sound good? Where you're more spread out, you might need a system where you have that. However, if it's a smaller tracking space and you're all in close vicinity to each other, that is a conversation that might be easier to, to handle. And you might put your $5,000 into improving the sound of your studio. I don't know. Or but buying new microphones, uh, yeah. Yeah, any other kind of investment. So, But the technology for something like that I think it is amazing. And it's just when you read about what it can do, it just kind of makes your head spin. It's like, wow, that is pretty crazy. Yes, so.
0: it is. And, of course, it makes the studio look super cool when they have something like the hearback technology. <laughs>
1: Yeah indeed. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All um, right. With that, yeah. we're gonna move on to some Friday finds. What have you got, Chris?
1: I have an application called Audio Gritter. Do tell. Now when I read about this, it reminded me a lot of something that Apple and Logic did. They used to have something called the Logic Node. Do you remember that, where you could run the processing from a a networked computer to run or offload the power, essentially, of the processor? I do remember it because I used to do that. I used to use it. Yeah? Yeah. And how did that work for you? Did you enjoy it, or did you have to do it, or did you have a power enough machine where it just created more headaches? No, I used it specifically because I had some mixes
0: that were going beyond the capability of the G5 that I had at the time. Going way back to the G five. <laughs> right. And I had, you know, a second computer that was capable of running the same version of Logic and use Logic Node to be able to fire it
1: up and get yeah. additional processing power. But now of course you get additional processing from the Apollo stuff. So Yes. Probably even less for that. Yeah, but but anyway, I read about this and it's a free application and I thought it it sounded kind of intriguing. Audio Gritter is my Friday find for this week. All right. What about you? What do you got for us? Well, since we're going along the lines
0: of headphones and monitoring mixing for headphones, I'm going with a pair of headphones today. And that pair of headphones is the Sennheiser HD 206s,
1: which are like
0: the modern version of my favorite studio headphones, which they don't even make anymore. Is the Sennheiser HD250s. So you can get the HD206s for roughly about fifty bucks, and they are
1: spectacular headphones. Fifty bucks, wow! That's yeah, not too that, so bad. No, that's that's, yeah, almost obscenely cheap. Yeah, <laughs> they're as good as you're mentioning. Yeah, and and the Sennheisers oh,
0: cool. are great. You know, they're great headphones. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about them. I, I love mine.
1: Yeah. Do you use um, Sonarworks with them? I do not. Although I would be willing to bet that the
0: updated version and or the original version of Sonarworks probably has an HD 206 print to it. Mm -hmm. I don't have one for mine. I would have to send my headphones in and my headphones... Oh, they represent the mix well enough that it's pretty comparable to this setup of the studio monitors that I'm not hearing a massive difference between the two. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. Cool. All right. right. So there it is. And with that, while we've got your attention, we would like to ask you to go to our website and leave us a review at insidetherecordingstudio.com forward slash review. Or you can just trip on over to insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for our email list. In doing so, we'll get you some plug-in presets from both Chris and I. Plus, in addition to that, once you're on the email list, you will get weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips that come out every Tuesday. And we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast if you would like to send us an email to goldstar g-o-l-d-s-t-a-r at inside the recording with the word or phrase this week of personal mix you'll get something cool back in your inbox if you have a topic of suggestion like today's episode which came from dave rinaldi you can head on over to our contact page Send us the idea and we will put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say, see you next week, Chris.
1: Have a good one, Jody.